before you now. We come before you tonight, God, in the midst of uh, just the craziness of, of the threat of uh, viruses and, Lord, of, of, of insanity and the way we react, God. And Lord, we just ask that as your church we would rise to the occasion, Lord, that we would minister to people despite what's going on, Lord, that you'd give us, you'd give us uh, sense enough to know what to do in this time, Lord, and how to reach people better, how to reach our families in this time of uh, semi-quarantine, God. And we just love you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to each other, say hello. Hello. brought your Bibles to the Bible study, turning them to Matthew chapter 22. And we're, we're going through, it's Jesus's uh, week before he gets crucified. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees have been, um, have been sort of uh, inspecting him. Now, in, in, in Israel back then, they would, they would take a sacrificial lamb and they would have to inspect it and make sure there was nothing genetically wrong with the lamb or um, any superficial blemishes on it as well. And right now, Jesus is, is being inspected to, um, by the, by the um, Pharisees and the chief priest. And they've been going back and forth. And Jesus has been speaking on the, d- the dangers of rejecting him. And through parables, and as we've been going, as we've been going through Matthew, we've been doing so synoptically. We've been looking at Matthew, but we've also been incorporating Mark, and we've been incorporating Luke when we can. And as we're incorporating these these books, and when we look at them together, it's what's known as the Synoptic Gospels, which is just again a fancy theological term for seen together. You're going to know that by the end of Matthew, um, and. Uh, also, the series, Be Disciples, because as we, as we go and we read about Jesus, you see that's what he's doing. And so let's just get into it, Matthew chapter 22. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those, who are, tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when he heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies destroyed those murderers, and burned up their cities. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, and those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So the servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding, uh, wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? 
and he was speechless. Then the king said to the servant, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So as we, we've been going through uh, this, Jesus is continuing on. You've got to remember, when, when Matthew wrote this letter, there wasn't, he didn't write chapter. He didn't put numbers. You know, it's it just a continue, continuation of, of the letter that's going on here. And so it's just another parable on the dangers of, re, of rejecting the Lord. And uh, right off the bat, I, what I like about this parable is, is you look, and it's, it's like today. Weddings, I like how Jesus is used of weddings. Wedding is, is, the mo- is one of the is, is if not the most significant thing in your life. And I like how, Je- how Jesus is Jesus uses that because isn't coming Jesus a pr- one of the most significant things in your life you know and as I'm my wife's sitting up front making me nervous here um and as we uh and 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 you know looking and speaking of weddings you know lo- looking at your wife and all the excitement and wondering what life is going to be like you know and the the, the preparation and the build-up especially you know, not to go on a side and say tangent, but especially if you if you do things right within within the build up to the marriage, the the dating and the engagement. You know, and that's that's one of the things that I I've, I've never really at all did that right. You know, like I've been married a bunch of times or something, but <laughs> but I you know, and, and until I met Lindsay. And, and, you know, just, I just wanted to be able to stand up here and look at her and, and know that I did things right before the Lord and to her. And it was, a, in, 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 the, in, in that, as, as I'm excited, wondering what life's going to bring, all the new things, all the struggles or whatever, it, was, it's, it had a big impact on me that I was going to do that with Lindsay. But how much more so with the Lord Jesus? When you come to him, what's the buildup? Maybe, maybe it's, you know, throughout, your, as you're ministering to somebody and you're planting the seeds of hope into an individual and you're talking about the Lord and they've seen the goodness of salvation and, you know, know that they're contemplating the Lord. Know that they're contemplating what it's like to be a born-again believer and they're, they're doing so by seeing the actions of your life as you pour into them. But as they go and they, and they meet the Lord and then they become born again, it's a powerful thing. What is the Lord in one of his letters to the churches in Revelation says, you have lost your first love. You know, and, and, and that's, that's something that the Lord holds dear. And, and so I like that he, that he, that he uses a wedding. And, 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 back in those, and back in those days, a wedding was a big deal. They would, they would, uh, they would, they would go all out. They would, it would be a long, you know, preparation. In fact, it was from an early age that you were, uh, you were betrothed to somebody, and I remember. I remember my mom growing up. You'd make you know, kind of just poking at me, but like maybe I'll maybe I'll set up your uh, who your future wife's going to be or something, you know. And I'd be like, no, absolutely, no, I got to pick. And then I think I got to the point. I was like, go ahead, I don't care. Let's just see what you see what you see what you pick. Be better than what I what I have. Not now. I mean, what I you know. Never mind. I make bad decisions. Is my point. But I made a good decision with you. I'm just going to move on. But uh, but it was a big deal. It was it was it was a planned thing. They would, in fact, like one family would go to the other, and there would be gifts exchanged. There would be payments. All these things. It would be a combining of families 
and then the buildup, and you were, I mean, at, at, a, at a certain point in the process of being betrothed, it took, it took a certificate of divorce to end the thing. It wasn't just like, you know what, I don't want to marry this woman. It's off. No, it was a whole legal issue. And, and I see the Lord in that, and I could see why he's using a wedding here. Because he, he's, he wants to be bound to you. More importantly, he wants you to be bound to him. You see that relationship, that connection, and, and how, how intimate it is for the Lord, especially that he came and died for you, and you are his prize. And so, and, and so I just look at, I look at weddings. The most significant thing in your life would be the person that you're married. So, even more so, so is the relationship with the Lord Jesus. It seems strange in this parable that those invited refused an invitation to a royal wedding. This illustrates the principle that there is no logical reason um, God's gifts are refused. Sin, the devil, the way we are, pride. I mean, if, I think if you take, uh, I was saying earlier in one of my teachings, if, or maybe, you know, maybe it was a conversation with the turns, it was, if you, if you open up, um, if, you, uh, if you open up holiness, you would see three things supporting it. It's, that, it's out of Malachi, uh, to, to love justice, love mer- what, practice justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And I think if you open up sin, you would see there, there's one um, common denominator, and that's pride. And really, that's, that's what separates us. Because, you know, if you look at everything involved with the royal wedding, uh, we see the royals in England, they get married. It's a big deal, you know. And, 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 and then you compare it to um, what, God's, what God does in your life, and it's a big deal to the Lord. What is it? It says, in, one of the things I love, the angels rejoice in heaven over one individual that comes, uh, that comes to a sinner. One, the angels rejoice over one sinner that comes to repentance. And if that's literal, if you take the Bible literally, and if, if that's true, that one sinner, that, you know, imagine the impact of that. That the angels, are, the angels themselves are, are well-versed in the people that are going to be in heaven, that, have participate, that are going to participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb, and know how glorious eternity is actually going to be. How do you know that? I don't know if we can wrap our minds around that, but we can see little glimpses of it in this. And then the, I believe in the next chapter, Jesus is going to give another example of the, of the betrothal process um, and, and coordinate it with, uh, with him, with uh, the, the, the foolish and the wise virgins, right? Um, but God's goodness, he's prepared a wonderful life in eternity. Judgment came to these men that killed the king's messengers. And we see that the same thing happened to Israel. Because in, in 60 or so years, Israel was going to be raised to the ground for the most part. In fact, like when uh, I believe it was Titus, General Titus of the Roman Legion came through, he ordered that the temple not be touched. But it's funny, uh, this is, by the way, history. You know, you, take it, you could do your own research. I'm not saying this is actual fact. But what history seems to tell us is that Titus, said, Titus uh, the general, said, don't, 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 don't mess with the temple. It's one of the wonders of the, of the world. And uh, a drunken Roman, you know, threw it... Uh, threw a torch in there, it burned down, and they took the stones down, which you can, if you go to Israel, I was looking at the pictures of Pastor Jason Duff, because he, he was just there, and you could still see the large boulders of the, te- or the large stone of the temple that um, were thrown off, and the um, Romans did that to get out all the gold in the temple. But judgment was coming to Israel, and, and it, you know, they just, they missed it. 
you know, they, 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 they missed their opportunity. Messiah, their God, came, and, they, you know, they just didn't have a proper perspective. There were, no, there were, there were, two, um, there were two invitations here. Both were rejected. God is persistent and was with his people. And the thing is, it's God's not done with his people. God is still going after them. God is still persistent with his people. Um, you, look, you look again, if you go to the book of Revelation, you see that God will, God will honor his promises all the way to the end. And, and I just love that because if God, if, God doesn't, if God doesn't keep his promises to, the people, to his people, why on earth would he keep his promises to Gentiles? And so if you look at the doctrine of, of that Israel's done, that God's had enough of them and now he's moved on, I think that's total wrong doctrine. Because God, God doesn't break his promises. You can look at God's promises to his people and then look at God's promises to you and know that God keeps his promises. Because like I've said before, in, in, the, in the aspect of God making a covenant with Israel, how often... Has God been able to, like, legally or just had every right to say, okay, you know what, the 15th time is enough. I'm done with you guys. You know, we had a covenant. This isn't me just backing out here. I'm not breaking my word. But God is faithful. And God, and God still, even now, is working on his people. They're back, they're back in their nation. Prophecy fulfilled. And you can look and you can read about the 140,000, 45,000, 40,000 Jews. You guys want to teach? Um, You know, and look at that. They were, and so we look at at this as the religious leaders examine the Lamb of God for the ultimate sacrifice. But we see here he is warning them. And, 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 And interesting with the wedding garment thing, again, you can't fake it. You can't fake the relationship. And I like that Jesus, the parable, he went out and he pursued those on the highways and the byways. Because now salvation is to all. Was to the Jew first. Now it's to everybody. And what I think we should get out of this is we have the invites. And we need to, we need to be out there making disciples and inviting people in. And so as there, it's, it's when there, there's a story I heard that this lady, I think I told you this, this lady in, um, in New York was going to get married, this wealthy lady. And she spent $15,000 on the wedding at a hotel. And right at the, uh, it ties in with this parable, and right at the last minute, the last day, the groom got cold feet and just left. And so she went to get her money back, but the hotel said, we can only give you like 10% back of that $15,000. So instead of just getting the 10% back, she decided to invite all the, um, the druggies at the rehab, all the homeless people. And that night, these people dined on, the, these people were served um, by these fancy hotel servers in tuxedos, you know, that night. And the, the funny thing about this is, in honor of the groom, she served, uh, she served boneless chicken. That joke was better from the pastor telling him. But. but God reached to us, reached out to us. And I put here something Israel didn't do. And I don't think God was just working on Israel throughout history just to get him to the, the point of being um, secluded. Because when does God ever do that? You, you know, we don't become born-again Christians and then run and hide in our rooms because coronavirus is, is raging outside. But, and by the way, Please have common sense on what to do with the coronavirus. You know, you, you know, probably don't probably don't go. You know, open mouth kiss people out in public. 
I'm just saying. You know, don't, you know, you don't have to breathe on people. Just use common sense. But as far as God, as far as, as, far as the Lord, is it, this is a people thing. God came down not just to save Israel. I think God wanted to do something fantastically great with Israel in reaching the world with the plan of salvation. But because God's so faithful, salvation went to the Jews first and now to the Gentiles. But, but either way, we have salvation. Romans 11, 11 through 14. I say then, have they, um, have they stumbled? That they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, speaking of the Jews, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world, and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more, uh, more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke jealousy, those who are my flesh, and save some of them. And I believe Paul really, really thought that, you know, maybe, you know, in, in some way he'd be able to save the Jews. He's speaking of the Jews um, falling and going to the Gentiles. And if you read the rest of that, by the way, of chapter 11, as you, as you pr- uh, pursue Romans 11 further, it says, and don't get too proud of yourself, Gentiles. You can be grafted in, you can be grafted out. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. I just think that's funny. Keep staying humble, you know. Keep looking to the Lord for your strength. But we are, ta- we are grafted in now into the plan of salvation. It goes on to say not to boast. Um, and it says here, that, and I put here in my notes, garment, garment, um, garment man was there in appearance, but not in heart at, the, at this wedding feast. He was there doing all the right things, but he didn't believe it. And you know if you're faking it. You know if it, you know if it's if it's if it's something you're not really into if you're not if it's not true. And maybe you know maybe you feel and I want you know I want to be careful here because it's not just an emotional experience, although emotions are part of it. I don't want to take away the emotional experience you may have. You know I don't want to take away the warm fuzzies or you know, uh, or the, you know whatever. God made emotions. He, he put emotions in your body for a reason. My wife didn't just marry me out of just like, yeah, okay. She married me because I'm, you know, I'm fantastically handsome. And <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, you know, it's not just, <laughs> we laughing at it. It's not just emotions. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, if you love me, you know, obey me. And I think there's, especially for me, uh, the way I am, I got my dad's side of the emotional spectrum, I believe. Where it's, 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 you know, we don't do emotions in our, you know, in the men's side of our family. It's, you know, it's, how you doing? You know, it's a good solid handshake and, okay, yeah, you know. I don't know if that makes any, if you know my dad, and some of you do, you're pretty close, you know what I'm talking about. But, you know, God, God doesn't say if you love me, emotionally show it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No, he, it's, it's an obedience thing. And maybe you feel a disconnect. And I would, I would challenge you, if you're feeling a disconnect in this marriage, in this relationship, maybe it's something going on in your heart. But, but keep in mind, it's, if you're feeling the disconnect because you're emotionally not experiencing it, God doesn't ask you to emotionally love him all the time. Because that's impossible. But what does he say? If you love me, obey my commandments. And then get in. And then, and then, and then attach yourself to people. Start reaching people. Start, start pouring into people 
And, see, and then come back to me and see if, if you're not feeling it still. Again, not saying it's, it's about emotions. But as you get attached to people, you're going you're gonna to have the emotional range when you see people stumble. You're going to have that, that heart when you see people fall. But, you know, you're going to have the same heart when you see people being raised in the Lord. When you see people doing one, when you see God choosing someone that's maybe been saved for like a year, and suddenly people are becoming born again from the things he has to say. And you get to participate in that. And I think, I think then you kind of feel the connection in a way. Because it's the heart of God that breaks when he sees people fall. But it's also the heart of God that soars when we come together and we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you've got to do it. You have to, you have to be plugged into people. You have to be plugged into the Lord. You can't fake it. Matthew twenty-two fifteen through 22 says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they, and they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true, and teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone, which is not true. For you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. I put on the side, I'll probably talk, say this again, but put on the side of my journaling Bible. Jesus didn't have a coin. <laughs> so they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar, Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard these words, they marveled and left him, and they went their way. The Herodians here are people, or, or uh, Israelites and whoever else may have lived there, that completely bought into the Herod thing. They were all about the Herod system. Again, if you remember from when I started Matthew, and I think you can go listen to it online on YouTube, um, you, got, you have Herod the Great who backed Julius Caesar. And it turned out that was the right move because, you know, he got into power. So when Julius Caesar's next guy, um, I forgot who it was, got into power, he... Uh, he, he promoted Herod the Great, and so it was the good move. And so you have people that, you know, followed the Herods who were about them. And so now as they're coming, to, they're coming the Pharisees know, the Pharisees are in, incorporating them to, to catch up Jesus. So Jesus here, as we've been reading, has, he has been directly accusing and exploiting the religious leaders. Now they are fighting back. Now we see the Jewish leader launching their counterattack, and they do so by directing at Jesus' carefully formulated questions. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, remember, um, Israel is under Roman occupation, and, and a lot of Israel is not okay with that because the, 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 way, the way the Jews are is they believe they should be ruled under their king and God. For a lot of the, um, for a lot of the, uh, it, for the, lot of the zealots that were in Israel, it, they even said it was God dishonoring to pay taxes to Rome because of the uh, the inscription on the coin. Remember what one of the commandments: no carved images, right? And so you have Jesus 
you had Jesus there who asked for a coin, and he, and he holds it up. And so I'd imagine that the Herodians and Pharisees are like, okay, now, now he's going to go down. There, um, history says there is probably three regular taxes. There was a ground tax, which was 10% tax on grain production. production. There was a 20% tax on oil and wine. There was, an, there was the income tax, which is 1% of a man's income. And there was the poll tax paid by every man from 14 to 65 of age and every woman from 12 to 65 years of age. This tax was a denarius a year. Also keep in mind, on top of all that bondage that was oppressed on the Jews, every time, every time the Jews would come for Passover, they would come and deal with, with the religious leaders. And they would come, and remember, they would bring a lamb, and what these religious leaders were doing, like if, I think last week we were talking about it, they would, they would take the lamb and say, no, there's, there's problems with this one. Let me bring ours. You can buy this. And then they would try to pay uh, with that, with, you know, Roman money for that lamb. Like, no, you, we, you know, there's <laughs> Caesar's faces on that. We can't, you can't use that. No carved images. But you ha- go, go to the tax, ex- or the um, coin exchange rate, and they would go for like three times the uh, amount, exchange the coins, and they were getting ripped off. So not only are there, and then you have tax collectors, who was Matthew, by the way, but you have tax collectors who, would, who made their profit not only imposing the Roman tax, which they would only know the certain amount, and then they would add on whatever they wanted so that they could have um, a substantial income. So you can imagine the kind of bondage that was going on here and why the Pharisees and the Herodians definitely thought they probably had Jesus with this question. Because you're the common Jew. Let's say you're Joseph the carpenter. You have to pay all these taxes plus whatever's put on top of um, by the tax collectors, whatever's added on to that. And then every Passover, the religious leaders are ripping you off so that even they're turning away the people from wanting to come and practice these things. I mean, it, it costs a lot of money, apparently, to live there. And, you know, and we saw Jesus' reaction to all that. This particular tax was a poll tax. Paying the poll tax was the most obvious sign of submission to Rome. And again, zealots claimed the poll tax was a God-dishonoring badge of slavery to the pagans. Jesus says, Who, whose inscription is on this? Jesus showed that he was in complete control. He rebuked the wickedness and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the Herodians. And he shows that we are responsible to the governments that we're under. So Jesus, it's funny that Jesus didn't have a coin. It's really interesting to me that he didn't have a coin, that he had to ask for one. One thing, this little side thing, it kind of shows his total trust in the Lord and God there, and that he didn't... You know, it's funny when it's just it's just like when when you hear teachers on health and wealth. I don't think health and wealth teaching is a big thing anymore. I think that's kind. Of, I'm not saying it's not there. You can you can see you know still see to this day teachers that have like five thousand dollars shoes and eight hundred dollars Gucci belts. Mine was like twenty something dollars at Ross, so I must be legitimate. But uh, no, but um. But the, the whole health and wealth thing, when, you know, the Son of Man had no place to lay his head, had to ask for a simple coin. Well, let me see your coin really quick. 
you know, now in, we move from, from that. I think now we're in the, we're, you know, as far as fall teaching, they, they're in an age of hyper grace where you could do anything because you'll be forgiven, which that's a whole other study. Please don't think that. But um, we're responsible to God in all things, but we must be obedient to the government in matters of civil, uh, civil and national. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, says, Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Every Christian has a double, double citizenship. We are citizens of heaven. That's going to happen. We are going to, we, that, you know, we are, we're a part of that. But as citizens of heaven, we are required to obey the laws of the land we live in. And keep in mind, back then, it wasn't easy. I mean, let's face it, we're Americans, and why we might not all agree on the things that are going on within the United States, we're not living un- under, under a pagan um, king. I mean, that could be a matter of opinion. But we're not living under a pagan king <laughs> who, uh, who, who's trying to kill you. You know, and we're not living, whole, you know, we, we don't have the threat of, I think, in 60 years of a nation, of this nation marching through and burning down um, our, our churches and our synagogues and, and, and trying to wipe us out. Although some people might think that's happening. You know, we're in the United States. We, 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 we have the freedom, right? So far. But back then they didn't. And even Paul would say, these people have been placed into authority for a reason. They are, God's, they are God's stewards to enforce laws. So the Lord requires us to obey. And, you know, just as a side thing, as we, as not just taxes, which, you know, obviously is going on here, but as, as, we, as we obey the laws of our nation, we have a great responsibility as Christians. How many Christians don't vote? How many Christians don't vote because they think they don't have to? Because their God has said, you shouldn't vote. I, uh, the greatest thing I ever heard, well, not, maybe not the greatest thing I ever heard, but one great thing that I have heard from what my humanity teacher that really had an impact, an impactful, um, powerful um, impact on my life was if you don't like the president, the options for the president, go run for president. <laughs> and you know why, my, why that may sound ridiculous? It's like, that's a good point. But the point is, Christians, we need to be involved and obedient to what's going on. Now, when the laws of the land completely are contrary to the laws of God, no, I, I would say you, God takes, th- as far as the, as far as what we, where, where do we fall on the side of obedience to the government or God? Always fall in obedience to God. That's, that should go without saying. But we don't use Christianity as an excuse not to obey the laws of the land. You know what I mean by that. I'm not saying that, you know, we don't, we don't purposely try to twist the laws of God to get out of obeying the laws of the land. And so, so, so they think they have Jesus. Oh, and I put here, Paul says, Romans 13, 1 through 7, let every soul be subjected to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he who does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. 
Therefore, you must be subjected, subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to the very thing. Render, therefore, or pay back, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, and customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor, and to God the things that are God's. And so we, we are charged to obey those things. And as Jesus, he's, he's get, he gets the coin, he looks at the coin, and he, and he says, whose image is on there? And they say, Caesar's, you know, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry. Um, Jesus brings, brings up a question. He, he, he's, he, says, he says on there, who, in, in verse 20 of chapter 22, whose image is on this inscription? And he says, Caesar's. And that was, that was Caesar's way of saying, I own this stuff. This stuff makes my empire, uh, my empire run. And it's, it was a way of saying, if you don't obey whose image is on these coins, judgment will come down upon you. And Jesus is, is, is honoring that. He's saying, you know, this, this man is, is, it wasn't an accident that Julius, or well, I forgot what Caesar was there. Um, whatever, Caesar was there. It wasn't an accident. It's not an accident that Obama was in, was in office. It wasn't an, it's not an accident that Trump, it's not like God took a nap and said, oh, <laughs> Trump got in. How did that happen? Imagine like 15 years ago, if you would tell, if you would be able to go back in time and tell some of us what 2020 was going to be like. I think I was reading something where it was like, it was just, it's like a kid wrote 2020. <laughs> you know, and then Trump's the president, you know, but it's not an accident. It's God appointed. God knows who's in office, and he still requires us to obey. It establishes the limits, regulates the rights, and distinguishes the jurisdiction of the two empires of heaven and earth. The image of princes stamped on their coin donates the temporal things belong all to their government. The image of God stamped on the soul donates that all faculties and powers belong to the Most High and should be employed in His service. And as we're obeying both of these things, as we move in these things, we render the things um, that are rendered to Caesar because those images are impressed upon that currency. We have the currency of the Lord Jesus Christ and His image printed on our hearts. We represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we render these spiritual things to the Lord God, which is our life. You are a living sacrifice. Every day, get up and offer yourself on that altar, Romans 12, 1 through 2 says. Holy and acceptable to God. And so we render our lives to the Lord. And, and yeah, that falls, I would say absolutely that falls within tithing, but it's more than that. Like I said, I, I completely and utterly look at tithing not as, not as like, you know, I need to get paid or, or whoever's in charge, you know, whatever. It, but it's, it's just, it's, it's the church. You know, like if you go golfing, you buy golf stuff. If, you know, whatever job, I had to buy, um, I, had to buy I still have to buy tools for my job that come out of my pocket. And my point is, is whatever into, you're into, personally, you pour your time. If you like bass, you buy acoustic basses, you know. And you, pour, and you pour yourself into those things. Why would it be any different than Christianity? But not just tithing within everything. Apostleship. 
my mom uh, sent me, uh, how did it go? She sent me, sal- the gift, Billy Graham, she sent me this. Billy Graham said, the gift of salvation is free, but apostleship will cost you everything. Because dealing with God is free. Dealing with God really is not that hard. Jesus is easy to love. No one reads, you know, if you're honest with yourself as a Christian, you don't read the Bible and go, man, Jesus is kind of annoying. I love you, Jesus, but I don't like you, right? No, that's, not, that's nonsense. You look at the Lord and you're like, wow, you're good. You're amazing. You're, you're, God, you're, I can't believe how you, how you handled that. And, but you know, you know why apostleship's so hard? Because we're difficult. It's like, it's like being a kindergarten teacher, dealing with kindergartners. When, when my wife tells me these stories, I'm like, why do these, these kids keep doing this? What's wrong with them? And, she, you know, and it starts getting me mad because you know, I, you know, I just want to go shake these kids. Don't shake kids. But, and then she goes, you know what it is? And this is, this is the Holy Spirit speaking through my wife. She says, it's the perfect example of man in the flesh. Because they don't know better. But are we like that before the Lord? A bunch of kindergartners banging on the desk, making noises, bah, 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 when, you know. And so we're dealing with each other. We, we, you know, and, and, and so we render those things that are that, um, Caesar to Caesar's and to God the things that is God's. Had the Jews rendered unto God his due, they, wouldn't, they would have never had to render anything to Caesar. In the New Testament times, they would have never endured the occupation oppression of Roman Empire if they had been obedient to their covenant with God. But they were not. What did God do when, when, when Israel was overran with idolatry? He allowed Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar to come in and take them. And if you look at archaeology, and you can do some research in this, if you look at archaeology, you'll see what they've dug up after the, um, after, the, uh, after the Jews were allowed to return from captivity. They never once went back to idolatry, it seems. Matthew 22 Verse 23 through 33, as they, as they continue to try to trip up Jesus. The same day, the Sadducees, who sat there, who, said, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after... He had married, and having no offspring, left his, brother, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, and you can kind of hear the sarcasm, because the Sadducees didn't believe in the, res- in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, what's wrong with this woman? No, he didn't say that. I just wanted to say that so bad. That's not what it says. He said, <laughs> "You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor using the power of God, nor scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they are neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob.'" God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished, astonished at all of his teachings. Put here in my notes. They are mistaken and don't know the scriptures. Two dangerous things to be as a born-again believer. Or if you're special, two dangerous things to be if you're not a born-again believer. 
And you know, it's just a simple fix. It really is. How do you know the scriptures? You read them. And you know, we, we live in a time where we have the complete word of God. Praise God for that. We live in a time where, where we have the uh, one-year Bible. And it's impressive to do that. It's really impressive. Read the Bible in a year. Completely keep flooding yourself with the word of God. And I get that. But maybe we're not all like that. I'm not like that. I can't just, I can't just have a routine of three chapters in one day. I've read through the Bible. Not necessarily in a year. But I mean, maybe I have. I don't know. But either way, well, my point is, is if maybe, maybe you can read like three verses in a day. But if that's your relationship with the Lord in the morning, can't God start a revival on that? Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe you read one verse, and you meditate on that particular one verse all day long, and that's how long it takes you to get through the Bible. If that's, what God's, if that's how God's speaking to you, amen. But no, the Scriptures. We pour ourselves into the Scriptures because... You know, A, we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, and we have gifts of the Spirit of discernment and of knowledge and of wisdom. And we continue to go to the Scriptures. Because you know what I like? You know what's something I've noticed about Calvary Chapel? I noticed because I have this. First of all, I have, gift, I have the gift of discernment. I know that for a fact. But, I, you know, and I, and I totally, 100, in, in spiritual faith, believe it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. But I also think it's a gift that my mom and dad pardoned in me by giving devotions all the time and, and raising me right. I believe my wife has this gift. But you know that when you go to a church, when you go to a place, and it's just kind of, what's going on here? Or maybe you hear someone talking that says they're a believer, and it's just kind of like, something's not right. That's not what the, wait, that's not what the Bible says, right? And, and we know that. Or maybe even worse, maybe we, we're like the Pharisees. We do know what the Word of God says, and we use it to manipulate people. And that's not good as well. Not knowing the Scripture, it is possible for a person to have much Bible knowledge, yet not fundamentally know the Scriptures. Paul later told Timothy to hold fast, um, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me. 2 Timothy 1.13, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This suggests um, the, the biblical truth has a pattern to it. it. A pattern that can be detected by a discerning heart. And it does, because it's a pattern. It's not just a pattern. I'm not just saying it's like an algorithm or it's, it's, you know, it's these set of things and you don't get to heaven because there's only one way to salvation, but the pattern of love that is written within the Scriptures. That is plainly evident with, within it. As you see the heart of God in Jesus' ministry performed before men, and these men become born again, and they get filled with the Holy Spirit, and they go out in the world and, and the church is still strong to today where you see guys like Saul who, are, who is vehemently trying to kill off Christians thinking that he's protecting the Jewish religion. You have a complete 180 and is, uh, wrote, what, three quarters of the New Testament. And you see the pattern to it. The Sadducees had, had Bible knowledge, but they did not hold fast to the pattern of sound works. Many today are like them in this respect. The Sadducees, they didn't believe in the over-spiritualization. The Sadducees, the sect of the Sadducees, they were, um, they were responsible for the um, temple and the religious behavior of the Jews under Roman occupation. And the reason for this was because the Romans didn't want to have to deal with the Pharisees on, in regards to spiritual things. Because, you know, the Pharisees and their old traditions and all, of their, all their crazy add-on 500,000 500, other laws and other things... Well, hey, what about the Sadducees? They don't believe in the afterlife. 
you know, they just, they just want money. They want to be rich. They, want, they believe success, in, in, you know, through God is here now. And so they gave, they, the Sadducees had the power of the temple. In fact, the, it was a Sadducee high priest who was ripping off the people for, over forgiveness. And it was saying he was, his cut of the, um, temp, of the temple um, sham that was going on, the, the temple gig of ripping off the people, he made about the equivalent of $3 million a year. And they, the Sadducees, they didn't understand the power of God. And so you could see as, as he's saying, you know, in the resurrection that they didn't believe that. They had a fundamental doubt of the power of God to do beyond what they could measure and understand in a material world. Many today are, are like Sadducees in that respect. But it's a family relationship. I believe, as, as, we, as we go into eternity, I, I fully believe we'll know each other. I, you know, in fact, I know we will know each other. In Luke 16, 27 through 28, says, Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that they may testify to them, lest they, come, lest they also come to this place of torment. Remember, Jesus was talking about when the rich man died and the poor man died. One, both went to Hades, one to Abraham's bosom in paradise and comfort, and one to, um, to a place of torment. And, he, and in, this, in this story, he knew his old life. And so, I, you know, I believe you'll be, you know, in, in heaven, you'll, you're, you're absolutely going to know each other. And it, it's something that you can't fully understand, because try, try explaining quantum physics to a kindergartner. <laughs> okay, you know, I think it's the same kind of thing. How on earth are we going to know what heaven's like until we're there? Because to me, it's, it's like, yes, I'm going to be married to Lindsay all the way into eternity. And why that's cute. And, and, and if you ask us both, we absolutely would love that because we're in our human state. I think in heaven it's going to be like, man, God, you were so good to give me her. And, and we'll have those relationships, but think how good those relationships are going to be as you disciple each other, let alone discipling your wife, but discipling other people as you continue on in eternity. And, you know, maybe that person looks to you and says, thank God you poured into me. Because look what happened. And maybe during the tribulation when we're all, when we're all there in heaven, Right? And we're looking down, and we're going to see people that, like, maybe, maybe they discover, you know, the nonsense that's written in my journaling Bible and come to salvation. Or maybe they, there are people that have been pouring into you your whole life, but they completely reject the gospel, but then they see the things that happen in the great tribulation, and they come to salvation, and we're allowed to know that. Or at least we'll know that when they get to heaven. However that works. The glory of heaven will be a relationship and a connection with God that surpasses anything else, including present family relationships. Revelation 21, 22 through 23 says, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of, <clears throat> no need of the sun. <coughs> so sorry. Or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated the Lamb its light. It seems that life in the resurrection that Jesus spoke of here does not, include, um, does not include some of the pleasures of life we know on earth. But know that, that I think C.S. Lewis said it best, if, if, if I don't feel fulfilled on earth, it can only stand to reason that there must be something greater beyond it. 
And he was speaking of heaven and salvation. And continuing in Re- uh, Revel- Revelation 22, 1-5, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its streets and on the other side of the river um, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there were no more curses, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gave them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And that's just stuff that the, the Sadducees missed. That's just stuff that the Sadducees completely didn't believe. And, and, and Jesus is telling him, and he kind of shuts him up in this, because, because the Sadducee believed you died, that was it. And Jesus corrects them. And what does Jesus do to correct them in this and to oppose them? Jesus goes to the word of God. And he says, but concerning the resurrection of the dead, and I like what Jesus says because I don't, I don't only think the Lord is saying it to these Sadducees, although he is, but I also think he says it to us. And that's something we can take comfort in, remember, knowing the scriptures, is when you have a question, have you bothered to look it up in the Bible? You know, and I'm not saying don't come to a, someone who knows more. If you know somebody that knows more about the Bible, completely go to them. Say, hey, I have the question. You know, I, I feel like this is wrong. Where, do, where is this in the Bible? Let them tell you where it is, but then take that and go look. Whatever I say up here, don't just be like, okay, because you know, I know some of you don't. Um, okay, yeah, sure, Sean said it. It must be true. That's complete nonsense. Don't, completely don't just take my word for it. Go study this for yourself. And if you find something where I'm wrong, let me know. And if I am wrong, that I might apologize. But, no. But, you know, you, you, we, 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 we look in the Scriptures ourselves, and so what does Jesus says? He's always telling them, have you guys not read the Scriptures? He's bringing their attention back to the Scriptures that they obviously have read. What was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, right, to the Sadducees, dead men. Not, not in resurrection or anything, not with God, because they're dead. But what does he say, point in the scripture? God is not the God of the dead, but God of the living. And he shut them up. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to them, and this is something I think I probably said on every single teaching because it has a profound impact upon my life. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you can look at that and be like, Sean, you just said you don't have to emotionally love. No, but it's, 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 the, it's the behavior of putting yourself to God, of putting yourself, how can I do better? How can I, how can I love you even more? And, and that, that relationship is returned. Through, um, through your, through your con- th- not your connection, but through um, as, you, as you have fellowship with God, as you pray to the Lord, as you, when you fast, Jesus says, when you pray, using Jesus as the example. Remember, he would get up early and seek his Father. When you have that relationship with, the God, w- with God and with all of you seeking him. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
And so you have the Herodians with the Pharisees, and you have the Sadducees, and everyone's starting to fail. And so the Pharisees, they believe that they're... Uh, they believe that, 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 that they're going to they're gonna do something and trick him up. Ask him a question. The question was also planned to trap Jesus in asking Jesus to choose one great commandment. They hoped to make Jesus show neglect for another area of the law. But Jesus had no difficulty answering the question. Instead of promoting one commandment over another, Jesus defined the law in its core principles. Love the Lord with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus set that example in his ministry. Jesus become man. He, he, he came down, was born into man. And then, and then as he was doing his ministry, he gathered people around him. And it's something, it's something I struggled with for the longest time was I never, I never maybe it was just me, I never allowed myself to completely understand the love of God. I could see why God loved my father and my mother. They're way better than I am, you know. And and he 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 loves everybody, and only God can do that. But but as a man, Jesus did that. And again, he says, "In this hang the law and the prophets." That it's always been this, and one of those things I think Israel missed. Because if they were loving the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and loving their neighbor, they should have been bringing Gentiles to, to, um, to God, being a light to the Gentiles. God's moral expectations of man can be briefly and powerfully said in these two sentences. If the life of God is real in our life, it will show by the presence of this love for God in others. Moses summed up God and his commandments, and ten commandments. Christ here brings the ten to two. Jesus, Jesus asks a question of his opponents after they've talked to him. While the Pharisees were gathered together, it says in verse 41, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. How then does David in the, in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my hand, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. Before they could think of another question to test him, Jesus asked them the question. This was similar to the question Jesus asked of his disciples in Matthew 16, um, chapter 16, 13 through 15. Who do you say that I am? And Jesus confronts his opponents with the need to decide who he was, connecting himself to the Old Testament understanding of Messiah, the Christ. They said the son of David. The son of David is one of the Old Testament um, titles for Messiah, founded on the covenant God made with King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It identifies the Christ as the chosen descendant of King David's royal line. You can also see Jeremiah 25, 5-6, Isaiah 9, 6-7, and Luke 1, 31-33. It's possible that the Pharisees did not know or had forgotten that Jesus was of the line of King David and was even born in Bethlehem, the city of David, when Jesus recently entered Jerusalem. It was noted that he was from Nazareth, and perhaps he, his connection to King David had been unknown or forgotten. 
And he said, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? The force of Jesus' argument depends on his use of Psalms 110. The most frequently quoted Old Testament chapter in the New Testament. This is the idea communicated in Revelation. I am the root of the offspring of David. And Romans 1.4, which shows Jesus as both the son of David and the son of God. We must not neglect either, either facet of Jesus' person. He is, he is truly man and truly God. And can only be our savior if he is both. Because he has to go to the cross. And as, as the sacrificial lamb. If David that calls him Lord, how is he his son? Jesus' brilliantly simple explanation of the scriptures put the Pharisees on the defense. They did not want to admit that Messiah was also the Lord God, but Jesus showed, his tr- his, um, showed this is true from the scriptures. And no one was able to answer. Yet even their silence was a tribute. The teacher who never attended the right schools confounds the greatest theologians in the land. And if his question was unanswerable at the time, a young Pharisee who may have been in Jerusalem at the time was, uh, was to answer it uh, in due course. Saul. Logic and rhetoric proved useless in attacking Jesus. Now his enemies would use treachery and violence instead. Jesus was done debating with the religious leaders. From now on, he will not debate with the authorities, but will go over their heads to the crowd. And it's sad that they missed it. But we don't have to miss it. Because we know who Jesus is. And it was from the Old Testament. And the Jews today, to this very day, are, 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 except for those who are, you know, the born-again Jews, obviously, they know. But as a whole, the Jewish people miss it. What does Jesus say, you know, you, you won't see me again until you, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, and, and, and the Lord, he's going to fulfill his promise to Israel. And he did fulfill his promises to Israel by dying on the cross. By being that sacrificial lamb. And I think it's just the same question that Jesus said to his disciples and that he said to the Pharisees that he is saying to you tonight is who do you say that I am? Because I I fully believe that Jesus spoke to Moses in the burning bush way back in in Isaiah. I believe it was the Lord. In fact, I I say that whenever whenever God is dealing with man, he does so through through, um, the Son. And it just makes me think, as, as Jesus is, um, appeared in the burning bush to uh, Moses, and Moses said, who shall I say sent me? He says, you tell him I am sent you. Uh, the everything. I am. And then what does Jesus say in front of the Sanhedrin when he's, when he's being accused? Are you the son of God? Are you on par? Do you consider yourself God? What does he say? I am. His people should have recognized that. His people should have seen that for what it was. But his people missed it. And then we see, you see that Pilate puts a, puts a sign above him on a cross, and it says, here is the king of the Jews, right? 
He even put it in three different languages. I don't think Pilate was becoming a born-again Christian at that moment. I believe Pilate was saying, look what Rome does to kings that try to oppose Israel. Not that Jesus was, but it was a perfect, it was a good thing, to, um, a good opportunity to show the Jews because things were happening to the Jews where Rome's going to be like, we've had enough. But who do you say that I am, is Jesus is asking us today. And if, if, if you got anything out of the script, if you got nothing out of, out of the teaching tonight, I would ask you to remember two things. And that is to, know, is to know the power of God through the scriptures. Are you in the word? Because every time Jesus came back at these men, it was through the word of God. It was nothing that he invented new. It was the same old word of powerful word of God that he was, he was able to come back at them. But know the power of God, know the scriptures, and obey the laws of the land. Especially now, especially in this time of fear, in this time of, 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 of pestilence and what's it called? Pandemic? Am I saying that right? Yeah, good enough. You know, and, and, and the, the laws, you know, it's, it's, the government's not sitting there going, let's see how many people we can send out. And even if they are, the very, absolute, very worst thing that can happen to us as born-again believers is death. And then it's going to be the greatest thing we've ever experienced. Who do you say that I am? Know the power of God. Know the scriptures. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you once again, God. And we just ask, God, as we go through these things, Lord, that they would stick into our hearts and stick into our minds, that we would know your power. But, God, we ask this week that we would see your power, God. Lord Jesus, that you see the things going on within our nation, the uncertainty, Lord. And, Lord, we specifically right now in this, in this president-ordained national day of prayer, God, we come to you and we ask that your will be done within what's going on. And God, as your will is being done, we ask, Lord, that you would give us insight to what that is and how we can best be used by you in this, God. How we can best reach people who are afraid, how we can best reach people to salvation, Lord. God, show this nation your power. Lord, that it's not the, the simple Christian rules that, that lead to salvation that make us the church, God, but that it's, it's our relationship and loving you with all your heart, soul, and minds, and then help us to turn around and love this world as we love ourselves, Lord. And I just ask that you would place that upon our hearts. And God, I would pray for healing, Lord, for those that do have the coronavirus, but Lord, for th- those who have the flu, and those, those who have everything, Lord, just help us to reach people that are suffering, God, even if it's not from a physical sickness, but something mental, Lord. Help us to reach more people. Enable us to do that, God. So just bring us sanity. Bring us peace. We love you. We praise you and worship you. In the name of Jesus, amen. We all stand. I'm pretty sure Sean announced it, but uh, there is no season of sorrow. That has been canceled due to the um, events. So it's just we're just taking safety measures in that. And I believe small group was canceled as well. So if you have any questions, you could talk to me, Sean, my dad, or my mom, or whoever. All right? Thanks, guys.
for your heart, I'm running for your heart, till I am a soul on fire, Lord. 